today, I want to just spend a little time talking about the mother, Jochebed. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, she is Moses' mother. And I want to talk about a faithful mother in difficult times. And I thought this was very relevant for us today. I think there's probably no time, well, at least within our lifetime, that it's been more difficult uh, for mothers and raising a family. Uh, the system, it seems to be against you in so many ways if you want to raise your children for God's glory. Uh, but yet, I want to encourage you because Jochebed, uh, she was in one of those times too. And yet she continued on doing the right thing. And I, I just want to talk about that today. A faithful mother in difficult times. Hebrews 11 verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask you that you would guide and direct my message today. I pray, Lord, it would be an encouragement to the mothers, but not just to the mothers, to all of us, as these principles apply to all of us. I pray you'd use this message to strengthen us for the days ahead, for the battles that we face, so we can be faithful parents, so we can raise godly families. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jochebed and her husband lived during a terrible time in Israel's history. Of course, we know that Joseph uh, went into Egypt as a, uh, as a slave, and because he was raised to the second in command underneath the Pharaoh, he brought his whole family there. Jacob and all the tribes of Israel came and lived in Egypt, and they enjoyed quite a prosperous time. And they probably never had such a good time as they did during that particular time. But of course, that doesn't last forever. And we know that's the same with us. You can, you can be enjoying things and everything's going just great, but it doesn't take long. And you're hitting that mountaintop. But as you keep moving, there's a valley on the other side. And that's just a part of life. And that's how it was for the children of Israel as well. These parents were the parents of... Israel's greatest deliverer, Moses, other than Christ, I could say. Uh, Jochebed was actually a, the daughter of Levi, and I don't believe it's talking about, you see that in Numbers 26, 59, it says, and the name of Amram's wife, and that was her husband, was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi. Now, Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, but of course, it would have been a long time ago, so they were probably great, great uh, grandfather or something like that. I haven't really checked into the details of that. It doesn't really matter. Amen. Uh, Moses had already had an older sister, which was Miriam, uh, who was called the prophetess in the scripture. Uh, he had a younger brother named Aaron, who became Israel's first Levitical high priest that God had appointed. As we've been studying through Israel's wanderings and learning lessons that God wanted Israel to learn, um, we're going to look at Israel and Egypt and Moses' mother having to deal with the great obstacles in raising her family. I want us to consider this mother and understand that we can be just as faithful as Jochebed if we have the same believing heart. For by faith, she did these things. So sometimes we live in an age where people say, well, because of the age we're living in, well, we're just not going to have a family. We're going to limit how many children we have, or it's just too wicked of a world for us to raise a family in. Well, I'm sorry, one day you're going to have to face Jochebed in heaven and explain that to her, because she didn't stop. She didn't stop having a family because the times were tough. 
So let's look at first the atmosphere or the world of Jochebed. She lived at a difficult time. In fact, Egypt uh, in the scriptures is a type of the world. Now, when we're talking about the world, there's different ways to interpret this. Uh, you know, the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know there's an aspect of the world talking about the people that God loves. He says, I love the people of the world. Amen? And I sent my son to die for the people of the world. But then again, in John 17, during his prayer to his father, he says to him, I pray not for this world. (laughs) In fact, there's a different aspect of the world, and that's talking about the world system. And that's what we see all around us, and we're seeing that worked out today all around us, the world system. Egypt was a picture of that world system. And it's not something you want in your life. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So in other words, you can't love God and love the world at the same time. You got to make your choice. And people do make their choices. Amen. It's very difficult to make your choice to love the world, but then tell everybody that you love God. That creates a a terrible contradiction in your life, and it's harder on you than anybody else. Amen? The fact of the matter is we ought to love God, and the Bible says we ought not love this world at all. It ought not be a part of our heart. We ought not look at this world system and say, I want to be a part of it. I want to glorify it. I am for it. I'm not for it. I'm against it, just like Jesus. Jesus didn't just not pray for the world. He made a definitive statement that I will not pray for the world. So he didn't just omit it from his prayer, but he put into his prayer that he would not pray for it. Because he wanted us to see that. In other words, there's nothing you can do for the world that we live in, the system. You can't change it. You can't uh, reform it. You can't make it better. It's on a track. It's got its prints. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. When Adam sinned in the garden, he was given, before he sinned in the garden, he was given dominion over the world. But when he sinned, he passed over the key to the earth, to Satan. And since that time, Satan has been wandering around devising a system that perpetrates his desires for people. And that's why we have to not love this world. You're not going to change it, you know. Hey, by the way, the elections are coming up. Vote. (laughs) Vote for the best person that's out there. One of the most conservative, uh, biblical-based principles that you can find. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. No matter who you vote for, it's not going to fix the world. But it'll just make it a little easier for us. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for right now. But folks, this world is just, it's, it's unreformable. It really is. Notice that Pharaoh here, um, I'm going to read this. And if Exodus chapter 1, if you want to turn there, you can. We'll spend a little time in Exodus chapter 1 and show you some of these details. So the first thing I want you to know about this world of Jochebed is that there was a disdain for God's people. There was a disdain. In Exodus 1 verse 8, it says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto the people, Behold, the people of the children are more and mightier than we. So this is the Pharaoh 
uh, that was prior to the Pharaoh that was there when Moses would do the plagues upon Egypt. But at the same time, it was one that wasn't there when Joseph was there, when they had all the prosperity and all those things that were going for them. So this guy had nothing, no ties to the children of Israel. His simple thing was, they are becoming too mighty, they're too big, and I'm getting concerned that they're going to outnumber us, and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Can I tell you something? That's the same thing the devil does. The devil looks at God's people, and he says, you know what? They're prospering too much. They're growing too much, so let's go there. They're, they're becoming too mighty, so let's go and take them down a notch. Do you understand that's what happens when you have a biblical church? When you want to be a lighthouse to a nation, don't you understand that the devil knows exactly where to look? You think the devil, from his perspective up in the universe, is looking down over here, and you know what he's looking for? He's looking for the brightest light. He says, that's where we start. You want to shine as a light in this world, I'm going to tell you something. You'll put a target on your back, and you'll become despised. And Jesus made that very clear to us. Pharaoh became fearful at the growth of Egypt, uh, growth of Israel in Egypt. God's people would become mighty for several reasons. I think the first one is that God's people are a people of promise. They weren't just a people that are based upon the atmosphere and the situations around them. Uh, Israel was the first nation ever created that was based on a covenant that God made with a man. He said, out of you, Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation. You understand that is a covenant that God made. Now that's a very special thing. That's really a foreshadowing to what he did for us. We're also a promised people. We have this today because we've been promised eternal life. We've been promised a place in heaven. We are promised a place in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have the house of God. We are also a people of promise. You understand? But Israel was that people of promise. And so no, no matter what they tried to do to stamp out the light, because they were a people of promise, there's nothing they could do to limit that except turn off the light in the heart of the individual. Get you to turn against the principles of God. That's something Balaam uh, found very interesting when, when he was asked to curse Israel by Balak, the king of Moab. And he said, hey, curse them because they're, they're too big and mighty and they're going to come in and take over all our land. So Balaam wanted to real bad because he was offering a pretty good reward. But when he talked to God about it, he says, no, you're not. What? And that's when Balaam's donkey took him for a ride. Amen. Yeah. But ultimately God says, okay, you want this so bad, Balaam, you go ahead. And when he tried to curse him, all that came out of his mouth was blessing. Do you understand? That's a people of promise. When you're a person of, uh, of the promises of God, God has nothing bad to say about you. In fact, one of the things that Balaam said about Israel was, I have found no iniquity in Jacob, and therefore I will not curse him. Oh, but Balak knew, or Balaam knew what to do. In fact, it became to, known, uh, to be known that what he did is he instructed the king Balak to actually take his women and bring them into the camp. And that's where they began to lose their power. Where they began to sin within themselves, within the camp. And that's how the light 
was brought down. That's how the mighty began to fall. Until, of course, God said, deal with this. And the high priest, I believe it was Eliezer, took a javelin and saw this Israelite with this Moabitess woman walking down the street as if they owned the place. He says, oh no, this isn't going to happen here. And he took that javelin and he ran it right through them. Say, wow, you wouldn't get away with that today. (laughs) I don't think so. But it sure does give us a, a story. It gives us a picture. It gives us the intensity of how we need to deal with the issues that are stealing away our effectiveness in this world. Take that javelin and run it through, God says. And that's what Eliezer did, and God took away the plague that was destroying him. See, God allowed a plague to come upon them. He says, this isn't what I called you for. So he allows you to go through suffering because of your sins and your decisions you make so that you'll come to repentance. Don't you know that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, the Bible says? Amen. People of promise. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Amen. It's a promise that was made. So Pharaoh began to be scared of the growing number of Israelites growing in his land and thinking he could do something about it but not realizing if God said it, it's going to take place. I was reading a little bit later how that when they were in battle with Joshua, the Bible says their army went out and they were like the sand of the sea. (laughs) I guess God came through. So this promise was made 400 years earlier. But Pharaoh did not like this blessing and thought he could stop this multiplication process that God had put into place. You know, ours is a multiplication process too. We're supposed to reach out and bring people to Christ and have the church grow because of that. You're supposed to get saved and then you're supposed to get baptized. Oh, what's a big deal? Oh, it's a very big deal. It shows you're not ashamed of what Christ did for you. It showed that you're identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You're showing the very message that saved your soul. You're preaching to it in a picture to the people. And you're saying, look, folks, I believe in the Jesus that you believe in. And the church looks at you and says, hey, this guy means business. He's making a profession of faith. But you know who else is looking? The devil. He sees you making that open testimony of Christ. And you can be sure he wants to put out your light. Whenever somebody gets baptized, I'd always tell them, make sure you're careful this week. Keep your heart right. Keep your mind right. Because as soon as you go forward for God, the devil's going to come after you. Amen. That's what Pharaoh did. That's the land that they were living in. But I think also, not only were they a people of promise, but God's people are a people of principle. People of principle. We take things, we take seriously the things that God says about what we are to do and where we ought to be and how we ought to behave. Do you understand that we will just simply even grow and become more effective simply because the life that we live? 
Do you understand how many homes are being destroyed over alcohol and drugs and sins like that? But the Christian says, there's no way I want that in my life. I want to live a clean life. And because of that, the Lord blesses and he gives you health and strength and he gives you offspring and he grows your families. Amen. Amen. The world is talking about abortion and killing babies and doing all these things out there, but we're not saying that. We're saying, hey, let us, let us have a family for God's glory. Let's keep having children. We're not of these people that say, oh, we don't like kids. That's not what the Bible says. Amen. We're people of principle. And therefore, because we have these principles in our life, obviously we're going to multiply. Obviously we're going to grow. Obviously we're going to become more fruitful than the world. But the devil hates it. Because he doesn't want it. So there was... There was a disdain for God's people, number two. There was a divide with God's people. In in Exodus 1.10, Pharaoh says, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it came to pass that when uh, there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. There's a division with God's people in the world. Pharaoh was convinced that Israel did not hold the same values as his people. If they did, then why would they turn against them? Why, my friend, would they go with the enemy if you're so good to them? (laughs) Obviously, he knew that these are different people than us. And in order to control them, we have to control them in ways not appealing to their sensibilities, not appealing to uh, their welfare, but appealing to their fear. Pharaoh also understood that the way they, could, they were treated could cause them to take the side of the enemy of Egypt if the occasion arose. By the way, folks, you start treating people badly, they probably don't want to be around you. Amen? As, just, as great as you are or think you are. See, that's what narcissists do. They treat people badly and think that it ought to be a privilege for you to be around me. I'm sorry, that's not the way it is. People want to live a peaceable life. That's why the Bible says we ought to pray for those in government. Why? Just simply that we can live a peaceable life. So we can go forward in godliness and do the work of God without having to hassle with Pharaoh always on our backs. Amen? So we ought to pray about that. Constantly about that. Pray for our government. Not because we're trying to change the world and we're trying to change the direction. Well, it's not going to happen. Sorry, guys, this whole idea of kingdom come theology, sorry, it is wrong. The church is not bringing in the kingdom. I'm sorry. It's going to get worse and worse and worse until it gets so bad that Jesus Christ himself will have to come and set up the kingdom and it'll have nothing to do with you. He's coming whether you like it or not. Amen? I'm saying, hey, let's get as many subjects into the kingdom as we can. But you're not preparing the world for Christ's kingdom. They will never be prepared for Christ's kingdom. They don't want Christ's kingdom. They hate Christ, and they hate the idea of his kingdom, and they don't want it, and you can't prepare them for it. God will come, and he will just destroy this system. Like that. Amen? Amen? So don't get sucked in, because it is a theology today. Many of the churches around us are promoting this kingdom theology, and it's deceiving the people that somehow you are preparing the world 
for Christ. My goodness. Jesus said, pray not for the world. He knew there's no, there's no reformation. Amen. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Amen. So Pharaoh's looking at Israel, you're not of us. And that's why there's a divide between me and you. Yeah. It's sad when Christians don't realize there's supposed to be a divide between you and the world. Yeah, if you can just get along with this world, I'm going to tell you something. This world likes you. <laughs> Read that verse. Yes, sir. Then have you followed Christ? Are you following Christ? This isn't just preaching here. This is a reality. Your life, you ought to feel it almost every day of your life that there's, a, there's an opposition to your lifestyle. There's an opposition to your desire to be holy and, and right before your God. There's an opposition to you raising your kids the way that you know they're supposed to be raised. There's an opposition to the way you're supposed to discipline your kids. There's an opposition to everything. There's an opposition to marriage. There's an opposition to the church. There's opposition to everything. And a Christian that is right with God sees all of those oppositions. And yet they continue anyways. Amen. Oh, we're living in a day where now the Christians are saying, oh, well, because the world is telling us we better listen. When Moses went to Pharaoh and he was negotiating with Pharaoh, there was only one negotiating, and that was Pharaoh. <laughs> you thought Moses was under his thumb. Oh, no. Pharaoh was under the thumb of God. And when it came down to it, and, and uh, Pharaoh would say, oh, just leave your kids behind, and oh, just leave your cattle behind, Moses looked him square in the eyeball and says, we will not leave one hoof behind. Yeah, man. Okay. My goodness, Christian, that is the attitude we need today. Yes, we got Christians that are missing church. They're not faithful to the house of God because the world is dictating their schedule. Why don't you go to the world and say, I will not leave one hoof behind. When in my first ministry, I used this testimony all the time with our youth group. It, it was wonderful because they all didn't know what to know. And so we were able to teach them. And I said, hey, guys, we started when they were 12 years old, and I brought them right through into adulthood. And at 12 years old, I began to teach them, hey, I'm going to tell you, one day you're going to want to go get a job. Can I tell you what you need to do? You need to be honest with your employer. You need to go and say, hey, I'm a Christian. And you know what? On Sundays, we go to church. And you know what, on Wednesday nights, we go to church too. And you know what, we're not going to work on those nights. Every one of them got a job in a community where everybody had to work on Sundays except for them. Amen. And when they moved away from their jobs, every one of them, their employers said, oh, we're going to miss you so much. Yeah. They were good employees. Why? Because they were people of principle. And when people of principle do what God wants them to do, they work like God's people would work. And the world looks at it and says, man, you are productive. That's why when you say, hey, can I get this time off to go to this camp or this men's retreat? Absolutely. Do you understand that? If your boss doesn't let you get away with anything, maybe you need to start acting like a Christian on the job. Yeah. Don't give in. Parents, Teach your kids. You don't need to give in to Pharaoh. You don't need to give them a hoof. You don't need to give them anything. 
Why is Pharaoh dictating the life of God's people? We are the ones that are in control under God. They are under the thumb of God. We are not under their thumb. But the devil's got us deceived. Somehow, ooh, no, sir. We have won the victory already. It has been bought and paid for. You already have the crowns, my friend. You're already sitting with your king in the heavenlies. The Bible says that. Seated with him in the heavenlies. Who is going to dictate what kind of Christian life you can live? When he says, thus saith the Lord, you just say, yes. That's what I'll do. Amen. Oh, why don't we try God a little bit? Why don't we prove him a little bit? Why don't we just test? Maybe God is who he says he is. Maybe he is as powerful as he always has been. And maybe he wants to show us how great God really is. Amen. If we'll just test it, it will just put us in a situation where sure there's a divide, but there's always a divide. There's always a divide. There's a division also with apostate religion. You know, Jochebed not only had to deal with a pharaoh in the world, she had to deal with apostasy. In in Ezekiel, it tells us in chapter 20, verse 7, Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me. And would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. See, not all Israelites fared so well. Do you understand that Jochebed was not only divided from the world, but Jochebed was divided from liberal and apostate Christianity. Amen. I'll tell you something, there is such a divide. I know there is. That divide today, it, it operates because they no longer preach the gospel clearly. They don't talk about the blood of Christ. In fact, many of them take the, the, the power and the blood, the hymn, right out of their hymn book. We don't want to talk about the blood in our church. It's just too gory. You've been watching too many horror movies. The blood is what purchased you. That's your currency, my friend. Amen. That's the cost of your soul. And every devil and demon that sees the blood of Christ shakes and trembles. And when you claim the blood and you are purchased by the blood, they know they've lost their battle. Amen. Oh, I'll tell you, apostate Christianity doesn't believe that. We just got to love our neighbor. Just love our neighbor. You don't have the capacity to love your neighbor if Christ doesn't change you first. Amen? Oh, you can love your neighbor the way you think you ought to love them, but you got to love your neighbor the way God wants you to love them. And sometimes that means you got to go right in their face and say, that's not right. Wow. But that's not tolerance, no. <laughs> Very intolerant with sin. That's our God. Amen? The wages of sin is death. There's a vision. Not only is the division, there was deadly decrees against God's people. The first thing he decided to do in verse 11, therefore they did set them over taskmasters to afflict them with burdens and they built Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. So they afflicted with burdens and enslaved them with taskmasters. This is how they respond to God's people. Get you under the thumb. 
Let's try, to, let's try to stop you from growing. Let's try to stop you from being successful. Let's try to stop you from serving God. And you know what? They're going to put taskmasters over you so you'll stop being faithful to God. So you'll stop following him. You'll stop reading your Bible. You're going to stop praying. You're going to start getting bitter about life and the hardships of it. And you're going to forget him. And you know what? It worked with many of them. They became apostate, many of them. Not Jochebed. The more pressure he placed upon Israel, the more they multiplied. You know, that's what the Bible says. Every great revival of the church throughout the ages has always been after a great time of persecution. (laughs) The more pressure you put on the church, the more you're bringing success to the church. Amen. Because it's through the cross that we succeed. And it's when you bear your cross, that's when God blesses. Amen. Amen. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. (laughs) Amen. They didn't quite get it. The devil through the world persecutes those that spiritually grow. They will always apply more pressure when they see growth, but they do not realize the more pressure they apply, the stronger the spiritual-minded church becomes. I was so grateful that our church, when COVID came, and I thought, what's going to happen here? We couldn't meet for 11 weeks. I was, I was streaming from my office. I had all your pictures on my wall. I pasted them on the wall. And you were all smiling. You loved every message I preached. I just loved it, man. I just kept on preaching. They love it. No problem here. <laughs> Amen. I'm serious. It's funny how you always smile for pictures. I wouldn't have liked to have been that in the early 1900s or late 1800s. They thought back then you'd always, it would have been hard to preach to. <laughs> John 12, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Amen. It's got to be death before life. Even Jesus knew that. He got on that donkey in Jerusalem and they were saying, oh, Hosanna, king of kings. And they, they thought for sure he'd take the road over to the, to, the, to the palace and sit upon that throne. But he didn't. He took the other road. Yeah. He took the road to the crown of thorns, not the crown of gold. Mm-hmm. He took the, the road to the, the cross, not, not, not the throne. Yeah. He says, I got to go here first before I go there. Can I tell you something? You need to go there first before you go there. You want to be blessed in life? Well, first salvation, you definitely got to go there first before you go there. But do you want blessing in your life? You got to carry your cross first. If you're not willing to carry your cross, don't expect blessing. Many Christians today are, are all bitter. They're bitter about their life and why is it not working out? Give your life to Christ. The Bible says if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, he says, you shall find it. Oh, just forget about what you want. Say, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. Whatever that'll cost you. I can't tell you how many preachers I I have talked to that have given up uh, great careers. I know two that gave up major league baseball teams to go be preachers, poor preachers. I've known people that were dentist technicians that gave up their jobs to go be a preacher. People have given up family inheritances 
to go be a preacher of the gospel and died on the mission field. Oh, they said, we don't want that right now. We're going to take up our cross right now. See, that's the kind of Christian we need to. That's the kind of Christian that's going to make a difference. That's the kind of Christian that's going to impact this world. But, oh, no, we need to be pampered, preacher. You tell us what we need to hear. I, I will tell you what you need to hear. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. You need to hear the truth. It needs to slap you right upside the head and wake you up. Amen? The Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Rigor means ruthlessly and cruelty. Everything they did was cruel and rigorous. That was their life as God's people. The first thing he tried to do is after he put the taskmasters on them, he tried to discreetly kill the male babies born to the Hebrew women. He tried to do it in secret at first. It's interesting. So he went to two midwives and he, 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 and he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. This is where mothers come in. This is a culture of death that Israelite mothers had to deal with. Whenever they found out they were pregnant, it, was, it wasn't just, oh, I'm joy, joy, joy. It was like, oh boy, is this going to be a boy? They didn't have the ultrasound. They didn't know when to run. The Hebrew midwives feared the Lord and would not have a part of killing these boys. Boy, I'm sure they got a real good place in heaven right now. And the midwives feared God and did not not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men and children alive. That means you don't always have to obey Pharaoh. When he brings you against God's word, you just say, I will not do that. And even them, they didn't even tell him I won't do that. They just kind of... Sometimes you just got to dodge the minefield. That's wisdom. Some people think you always got to stand on a soapbox every time. Not necessarily. There may come a time for the soapbox. But sometimes you just got to keep doing the ministry. And find ways to keep doing the ministry. Keep reaching people. Keep doing it. Amen? Because that soapbox sometimes takes you out. So he called for the midwives and said, why have you done this thing and have saved the men and children alive? And the midwives said unto the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively (laughs) and are delivered. I'm just like, what kind of, who are these Egyptian women? (laughs) Not lively. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives and people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. Just bless them. Amen. Thank you so much. Pharaoh publicly commanded his people to cast every Hebrew son that was born into the river. So now he moved away from the discreet way of killing kids. Now he says, okay, I know I can trust my own people. And he made a decree to all the Egyptians, you're going to go and take these boys and throw them and drown them in a river. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Can you imagine that day? 
Can you imagine being a mother in that day? All I'm telling you this, ladies, if Jochebed could do it, you can do it. Yeah. Don't let the times dictate. Don't let the times dictate. Oh, my. The second thing I want to talk to you about, and I know we're, we're done here. I'm just going to give you very quick points. The faith of Jochebed. First thing is they had a biblical foundation. Exodus 2, 1, there, was a, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. Say, what's so special about that? It's very special today because today people just don't go take a wife and so they just go live together. They don't care about marriage today. (laughs) In a day and age where Pharaoh's killing babies and the the, the devil's running rampant and and apostasies all over the place and God's people are worshiping idols, well, who cares anyways? Well, Jochebed did. They did the right thing. And that's what you ought to do. Marriages of God. The world didn't make it. The government didn't make it. God brought that first wife to Adam. He delivered her right to his hands. He was just sleeping there like a dummy. He took his rib, made him a woman, and the Bible says that he brought Eve unto Adam. And the first marriage took place. Can I tell you something? Don't let the apostate Christianity tell you that it's okay for you to shack up. That is sin. It's not okay to be immoral before marriage. In fact, you ought not even kiss until you kiss at that altar. And that's the big thing about that. That's why it was a big thing. The seal. Seal this with a kiss. Folks, we got to start doing this right. And that's what I want to teach our church. And I say, well, it's too late for me. Well, guess what? It's not too late for your kids. And just because you failed in the past doesn't mean you let your children fail. We stand up now for the truth and we do right for the truth now because we want to save them the trouble that we have gone through. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's create a biblical foundation in our family's lives. They didn't excuse God's purpose for having children. Right from the creation week, he says, go forth, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He has never changed his mind about that. That means this whole idea of, well, we're not going to have kids, let's not have kids. I'm sorry, that is not God's plan. That's one of the reasons why we don't believe in gay marriage. (laughs) One of the many, but that's one of them. It's because you can't procreate. You can't replenish the earth like that. God's got a plan. And if we're biblical and we have faith, we're going to continue that process until Jesus comes. No matter who the Pharaoh is, no matter what threats they throw on you, you'll just continue to do what God's asked you to do. Amen? Because God is your protector. I want to move on quickly here. Much further. <laughs> she also had spiritual perception. So she had biblical foundation, she had spiritual perception. Jochebed saw the potential in Moses even as a baby. Verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Hebrews 11 says the same thing. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. In other words, Jochebed saw something special in Moses even as a baby. You know, we're living in a day where, where parents don't even want their kids. That's not the way Jochebed was. 
She was so in tune with that baby. She understood there's something special. Even at three months old, she would look in the face of Moses and say there's a great purpose for this child. And you know what we need today? Parents that look at every one of your children and stop thinking down of them, stop thinking they're worthless, but understand something. They've got a special purpose in the mind of God, and if you will help God with it, they could make a big difference, and it doesn't matter what kind of atmosphere you're in. Jochebed knew that. This baby is special. I am not going to give this baby up to be killed. And she put her own life on the line to save that boy. Because she knew this is bigger than me. And that's what you need to understand. People that try to control their family size and control all these things, I'm going to tell you something. You think you're in control of their lives. You think you know what this world needs. You think that you know what that child could do for God. I'm saying, why don't you get out of the way and let God do something with your kids? Let's put as much energy into raising them for the Lord. Amen? The Bible says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. (laughs) Jochebed did whatever she had to do to bring success to that baby's life. The word saw, when she saw, means that she was observant. She recognized traits about Moses, even at three months old. (laughs) The godly mother will have a vision for her child. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, she did whatever she could in the time that she had. And you know what happened? When he was old, he did not depart from it. Amen? So what do you see when you look at your kids? Well, you're just costing me all this money. Well, you know, you're just... All these, all these things that the world is planning in your mind... Why don't you look at them and say, you know what? You are special for God. And I'm going to help you get, be exactly what God wants you to be. Amen? So she had spiritual perception. Number three, she had faithful action. Faithful action. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. If you find your name, if you would find your name written in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter you would find out a couple of things about yourself. The first one is this, that you actually heard what God said and you believed it. And the second thing is this, because you believed what God said, you did something about it. Every one of these situations, it says, um, I'm going to go on here. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch He pleased God. By faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark. By faith, he obeyed and he went out. Every time there is faith, there is action. Jochebed is in the hall of faith. By faith, she hid Moses. She hid Moses by faith. Wow. She believed God's word. She believed it. And she did it. She believed what God said is true, and that's why she would not murder that child. We are not going to let this child, because that is not what God wants. I believe God's word, so I know God will protect this child. And she went forward anyways. 
in that atmosphere of death, in that culture of death, where many people would just give in. The Bible says in the last days, mothers will turn in sons and sons, daughters, and so forth, all these different things. People will turn on one another, and they'll, they'll turn them over to death. Not Jochebed. She believed God, believed his word. Man, I got to move fast here. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I got to skip by a lot of stuff. But you know what? The ultimate thing that she had to do by faith was let Moses go. She had to let him go. See, the Bible says that she hid him three months, but then it goes on to say in verse 3 of chapter 2, and when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags of the river's brink. That was letting go. See, one thing I know about mothers, they are protective. You don't get in between a mother and her child. (laughs) Amen? A little lesson for you there. But, you know, that mother at some point in her life has got to make a decision to trust God with their child. And Jochebed was put in that position at three months old. Many of us will never have to face that. Many of us face that at maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, maybe 20, 25. Oh, I guess we ought to let them do the will of God. Three months? That's a faithful action. So she made a little ark. A little ark of faith is what I call it. A little ark of faith. This is her faith engulfing this little baby in that river. And you think of her bringing that baby to this river where they are just throwing in little boys by the droves. So she brings the boy, puts him in an ark of faith within a river of death. The same river all these babies are drowning. Somehow, that's where I need to bring my boy. By faith. By faith. The little ark is a picture of God's loving care for her son. It's a picture of salvation, just like the big ark was, Noah's ark. How they were safely tucked inside of Jesus Christ and saved from the deluge, the destruction that's outside. And she took that same faith, she put it in that little ark. That little ark with little Moses. And she says, God's loving arms around my boy. He's got a purpose for him. And I'm going to trust God. And she put him in the river of death. But what took place, and this is my final point, is providential compensation. Unbelievable. Verse 5, it says, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Wow, can you imagine the faith it would take to just leave your child there and to trust that God is going to do something to save your child's life? And God does it. God brings this child to the exact place that it needed to be. Wow. 
There's a lot of right things that happened this day. The first thing is God sent the right woman. You know that there was a charge to every Egyptian that if they saw a boy Hebrew baby, they were supposed to immediately drown it in that river. And God brought the baby to the only Egyptian that could get away with not drowning the baby because she had her dad's heart. And God knew it. (laughs) The only Egyptian in the country that could have saved Moses, God brought that baby to the right person. See, that's a mother's faith. (laughs) God guided to the right spot. She came to that very spot to wash herself with her maidens and saw the baby sitting there. Oh, just happened. Happenstance. No, sir. Providential preservation. See, we need to understand something. When we trust God by faith, there's far more involved than you can see. God is doing something for you right now and your family and your children that you can't even understand and it's going to take your faith to be able to let that go and to put it into that ark of faith. Amen? God made it happen at the right time. (laughs) What if it would have been half an hour later and that little ark would have drifted off somewhere else? But not only was the place perfect, but the timing was perfect. Not only that, but God gave Miriam the right words. Just a young girl. Exodus chapter 2, verse 7, then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? She couldn't have said anything better at that moment. That was exactly the right thing. And God gave her exactly the right words. And God gave Moses the right nurse. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. (laughs) And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. She got it right back. You want to know when you really have your child is when you put it into the ark of faith says, God, I trust you with my baby. I trust you with our lives. Because that power is far beyond you. You could have not have dictated who was going to be there, what time it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, the words that were going to be said, none of those things you had power over. All you did was prepare a little ark of love for your family. Say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you in this world that we live in. See, then you'll make decisions by principle, not by feelings, not by what you see, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Don't let Pharaoh dictate your life. Don't let him dictate how big your family is. Now, some people have one child. That's great. If that's what the Lord wants, I'm not saying you should have more than that. But I'm saying is don't let the devil dictate how big your family is going to be. Let it be God. Sometimes God dictates that you'll have no children and you'll just trust them. 
You understand that? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how much power you're giving Pharaoh in your life. We just start saying, well, Lord, I'm going to live for you. And the Pharaoh has no control. It's all about you. And whatever that situation you're facing is, you're going to put it in that little ark and put it in that river of death. Say, Lord, I know you're going to take care of this. And you watch him take it out and give it back to you with wages. With wages. Not only is she now doing the same thing she would have done, she's doing it without fear and she's getting paid to do it. (laughs) That's a good deal. But it took faith. It took faith. Principle-led life. Amen? I want to encourage you. God saw that little boy, gave him back to his mother for the most important years of his life, those first three years where, where she was feeding that child, And then he went into the palace. See, God also gave Moses a great and the right purpose for his life. Sure, it would have been hard to give him up at three years old, but you know what? That's what people do. Hannah did that with Samuel. And look at how great Samuel became in the great things that he did. Look at how great Moses became in the great things that Moses did. But it took a mother to put him into the little ark. Amen. Maybe you need to put your situation in that ark this morning. Let's bow our heads. Folks, I know times are tough. Things are difficult. But maybe it's time for you to get back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to start living for you. I'm going to start following your word. I'm going to stop playing this apostate Christianity and I'm going to start taking the word of God seriously. I'm going to put my problems and all the things that have been hindering me from experiencing victory, I'm going to put them into a little ark. And I'm going to put them adrift on the river of death. And I'm going to trust you to take care of that situation. That's where the rewards come. That's where the wages come. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to your heart. Maybe you're here today. You don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never received Jesus into your heart and and had that, that, that new birth that the Bible says, be born again, or you shall not see the kingdom of God. Please make sure you take care of that. Please, it's not religion. Your church can't save you. Being good can't save you. You need Christ inside. His blood needs to wash away your sins. You need his righteousness to stand before God in heaven. That's all he, what he does for you, but you need to be saved. And if you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you today to come forward during the invitation and we'll have someone take the Bible and show you how you can become a child of God. Get that settled once and for all. As many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Christian, what is it that you need to put in that little ark today? What is the situation that Pharaoh has over you? You're not willing to let it go. You can only hide it so and so long. 
You can't hide it no more. Trust God's loving arms to embrace your family, embrace your situations, and take care of you. And watch them respond in blessing and reward.